Finding your way to a balanced way of living is the key to health and happiness. Each week on Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes, you'll hear tips and tools for a happier and healthier life. Here's your host, Anita Westlake. Do you find yourself confused and overwhelmed when it comes to diabetes? Even with all the information out there on diabetes, it can become very confusing. There's lots of myths and misconceptions when it comes to this disease. And it's actually one of my favorite things to address and to talk about. When I'm out um, giving a talk on diabetes or just talking to people in general and they um, are aware that I have the podcast and I speak on diabetes and then I am a diabetic and then I, I share that with them, the first thing I get is questions about diabetes and wanting to have these things cleared up. Then Second to that, I will get questions about management and how to live successfully in a balanced life with diabetes. So today, that's what I'd like to talk about is clearing up some of these myths and misconceptions. One of the misconceptions um, I think that is out there at the moment is the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. It had always been in the past that Juvenile diabetes, which is type 1 diabetes, is um, something that we have when we're younger. So if you're diagnosed um, under the age of, let's say, 22, then they upped it to 45, you were considered a juvenile diabetic. This meant that you did not produce your own insulin, that the insulin islets in your pancreas, the beta cells, could no longer produce insulin. So you had to take artificial insulin. You have no choice in your medications. This cannot be cured by diet. It's aided by diet, which means you can take less medications. And of course, you have to balance your food, your medication, your exercise. All of that has to be um, carefully monitored. Then there's type 2 diabetes. And this um, was always said that after the age of 45 or 22, you know, that was always a, a little bit of a variable, um, you are now, you now have onset. So you have type 2. So your sugars are high, but because of your age, they diagnose you with type 2 diabetes. Now, there's various ways of handling this condition um, through diet and exercise, of course. And some people are um, able to manage it quite nicely in this way. And then there's, of course, oral medication, pills, and again, that was another form of treating it. And then there's insulin. So there's various ways of treating type 2 diabetes. Type 1, there is only one way, and that is insulin. I'm not going to say one is worse than the other. Type 2 diabetes is far more common than type 1, um, but there is no more age association with these two conditions. You can have type 1 diabetes at any age. They're finding this more and more. As I said, it used to be 22 and under, then it went up to 45 and under. And now I'm reading documentation that's saying that there's people up to the age of 65 that they've actually diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. As well as type 2. It was always over 22, over 45, you were type 2 diabetic. Your sugars were high, and because of your age, they classified you as a type 2 diabetic. Not anymore. There are a large number of young people diagnosed now with type 2 diabetes, 12, 14 years old. And this was never the case in the past. So this is something new in the world of diabetes and can be very confusing for a lot of people. So this is something that you really have to go over with your doctor. That The doctors have a task at hand now diagnosing whether your treatment is for type 1 or for type 2. So that's one myth that I really, I really wanted to address that that no longer stands as strong as it has in the past. That at any age we could develop type 2 and at any age we could develop type 1 diabetes. Now, although they are different in their, their reasons for having diabetes, their management is very similar. So in some way, shape, or form, more often than not, they have to be on, on medication. In the case of type 1 diabetes, you're always on insulin. There is no choice because you do not produce any insulin. Your beta cells no longer 
um, are producing insulin from your pancreas, and it's said to be an autoimmune disease where your autoimmune system kicks in when you have a cold, and it looks at your insulin islet cells um, as a foreign body, as something that they have to attack, and therefore they are killed off and you're, you're not left with enough of these cells per, to produce, or islets, pardon me, to produce insulin. So you have no choice but to take these insulin injections. In the case of type 2, um, it can be largely associated with lifestyle, your weight, and also the fact that your beta cells might not be producing enough insulin. There's also insulin resistance, and that they say is a cause of type 2 diabetes. And this is when your um, cells are unable to receive the glucose. They're not reacting to insulin. So insulin is basically a messenger. It lets all your cells know, like ringing a doorbell, that there's glucose on board. And who would like some? And then your cells will receive it. But for some reason... Your cells, in a case of a type 2 diabetic, are not paying attention to this doorbell, the insulin ringing the doorbell and letting them know that their glucose is on board, so the cells are not receiving it. And that's what they're calling insulin resistance. So it can be very complicated, but that's pretty much the short version of the difference between type 1 and type 2. And the new information that now is saying you can get type 1 or type 2 at any age. And they are obviously for very different reasons. So the main uh, common denominator between the conditions, type 1 and type 2, is sugar. No matter what, we all have problems with our sugar. We're diabetics and we have to manage our sugars. And that's what leaps out to us constantly. Sugar, sugar, sugar. So that adds to more myths and misconceptions when it comes to diabetes. And I often hear that you can't have sugar if you're a diabetic. Well, that's a pretty broad statement to make and something that I find myself fighting against and talking about all the time. What does that mean that you cannot have sugar if you're a diabetic? I have to look in, and I'd like everyone to think about this, what does not have sugar in it. I looked up a sugar-free diet, um, and it was a challenge, actually, uh, on the Internet. It looks like a very healthy diet. I, I won't say that it's not. But they called it sugar-free. And it's just one of many examples of what is deemed to be sugar-free diets. And they talk about um, a shopping list. And on the shopping list is brown rice, um, Meat, deli meat, because of sa- they're going to make sandwiches. Um, they have baby carrots, raw almonds, fruit, so watermelon, uh, grapes, uh, apples. They've got just veggies in general on here of all different varieties. They have cheese, cottage cheese, eggs, whole wheat pasta, gluten-free pasta, peanut butter. So I'm just going to take that fairly you know, short list of items that you can choose from to for your sugar-free diet and say they could all put your sugar up. So I really think instead of saying that we can't have sugar as a diabetic, it's the type of sugar that we're having and the choices we make in that area. So to say that a diabetic can't have sugar, well, there again, we're going to go back to the question, what doesn't have sugar in it? And as far as I'm just going to say at the moment, I'm thinking water, black tea and coffee, and maybe even sugar-free pop. Other than that, I think everything is going to affect your blood sugar. So this is really about balance, and we have to come back to that. So if you're looking at diabetes and sugar, um, it goes well beyond that. You know, lots of things will put your sugar up. And if you're a type 1 and you're not producing any insulin whatsoever, you've really got to watch that because you have you don't have any insulin. So you're constantly managing what you eat and the amount of medication and your activity. 
that's always a juggling act between these three balls that you're balancing, always. And the cape, in the case of type 2, your medications will vary, and sometimes you don't need any. You know, if you're really diligent about your uh, intake of food, the types of food you're eating, and your exercise, a lot of times, you know, you, you don't have to take any medications, and you can balance this quite nicely. And a lot of people will say, if you're able to do it in this way, that you, you've you reversed your diabetes or you don't have diabetes anymore, you've cured it. The fact is that you are a diabetic and you always will be a diabetic. Um, it sounds confusing, but nevertheless, I want you to really think about the fact that if you just went off this regimen of um, exercise and eating properly, I'm going to say, and maybe perhaps even shedding some excess weight. If you stop doing that, what would happen? Well, more than likely, your diabetes would return. So it's more so that you've kept your diabetes in remission or slowed down the process rather than, let's say, cured it. It's just a phrase I think they use, but we must be mindful that you know, it's really about keeping up this change in lifestyle, this healthy change, a change for the better, that slows down the process of your diabetes. So I'm not going to say that it wouldn't feel like a cure, but nevertheless, it doesn't mean that you can go back to your old lifestyle and that diabetes won't return. It will return. So this is your way of managing it. Now, in the case of, this is in the case of type 2 diabetes. When it comes to medications, I hear people constantly say, well, I was doing fine on my oral medications and then I had to go on insulin. So, you know, I have the bad kind of diabetes now. In some cases, I've even been asked if they feel that they have type 1 diabetes, that they've gone from type 2 to type 1 because they're on insulin. Not, no, that's not necessarily the case. It's really something to go over with your doctor, and I'm sure your doctor will explain to you at this point that your condition has changed, and um, now to successfully manage, you need to take a different sort of medication where um, the oral medication was aiding you in dealing with the food and help it process in your body. Um, now it's not being successful anymore. Now you need the extra help of some insulins. And, of course, there's many types out there, and your endocrinologist, your doctor will help you manage this. But it's not anything to really be fearful of. In, in my opinion, I've always been on insulin. Um, I look at it as a savior, as a cure, and it helps me manage the condition. I would, I would not be alive if it wasn't for it. So I always say to people with type 2 diabetes, it's all about the management. If you're having some success with it, whether you've gone from oil, oral uh, medication onto insulin, don't be fearful of that. The bottom line is you're able to manage your diabetes, and that is the most important thing. That equals success. So when it comes to sugar and people saying um, diabetics, you know, can they eat sugar? Well, yeah, of course you can eat sugar. It's just all about choices. So too much of a good thing when it comes to sugar, even when it comes to fruits, is not a good thing. It doesn't mean that um, apples are deemed to be sugar-free. Sure, apples are fruit and fruit's healthy, but it's sugar. And the body doesn't when it comes to diabetes, it doesn't always recognize I had a tablespoon of sugar or I had sugar from an apple or I had sugar from grapes or I had sugar from chocolate. It just says I have sugar. Now, how that sugar reacts in your body is something different. So if it's something like table sugar or chocolate or hard candy, and even in the case of grapes, which are very high in sugar, it's going to spike your sugar quickly. When it comes to something like a whole grain piece of bread, something more dense, it may raise your sugar a little more slowly. So that's something that to be aware of. How is it raising my sugar? Is it doing it in a slow way? Is it doing it in a quick way? And what, in what way am I feeding my body with sugar? So I think that's something that we get lost in. And people that from the outside that look in, on diabetes get lost in that we really have to keep our health hats on we can always deal with our sugars with medications and thank goodness 
There's lots of choices out there, and um, the pharmaceutical companies have really come a long way on how they help us manage our sugars and measure our sugars when it comes to diabetes. So we have that at our fingertips, but we have to keep our health hat on to say, what kind of sugars are we eating? And are we eating a lot of sugars that are spiking our blood sugars so that these medications are always playing catch-up? Because ideally what you want to do is eat something and have your uh, with sugar and have your medication kind of work with it so that your sugars don't spike up really high, but rather in more of a circular motion. So they might raise a little bit, but then the medication's kicking in and it helps deal with these high blood sugars. So you don't carry them for long periods of times and they don't spike. And that is the goal. You know, we can't really focus on any one blood sugar because it could be for various reasons. You know, I, I hear claims all the time that people say, you know, I've, I've barely eaten anything. I really watched my sugar. I, you know, I was eating salads and everything really low in sugar and yet my sugar popped up. Well, that could be due to uh, emotions and hormones and, you know, you might even have a cold or something that's affecting your body. So there's a lot that goes into managing a good blood sugar. It's a lot of it, of course, is what we eat, but there's other factors in there. So we really shouldn't get too frustrated by, you know, the odd blood sugar that runs a little high, but rather recognize it and then deal with it and keep note. What were we doing that day? that uh, beyond eating that may have affected our blood sugar. You know, maybe you're active um, most of the time and for a couple of days or for a day you weren't as active, but you were taking the same amount of medication and eating the same amount of food. Well, your sugar might run a little higher. So these are all things that we have to keep in mind when uh, dealing with diabetes. So that's one thing most people are very aware of, that sugar and with diabetes, raises the blood sugar and creates high blood sugars or hyperglycemia, which is high blood sugar. In the case of type 2, depending on their medications, um, they may or may not experience a low blood sugar, which just adds to all the confusion of diabetes. Now, I'm going to state that one of the medications um, that type 2 have the option of, which is the oral medication, actually aids in their insulin. So oral medication lowers the amount of glucose absorbed from food. It lowers the amount of glucose produced by the liver, and it increases the body's response to insulin. And if this is effective, that's great. Uh, it does not... Uh, usually create a low blood sugar for these individuals because oral medication doesn't directly lower the blood sugar in the same way that insulin does. Now, for those type 2 diabetics, um, and definitely in the case of type 1 that are on insulin, insulin directly lowers blood sugar. A lot of times when um, a type 2 diabetic will have to switch to insulin and come off oral medication, they become very wary and they're uh, very frightened of this. Insulin is a lifesaver. Um, now, it requires more balancing. It requires you to test your blood sugar more, but it is a lifesaver. And all it means is that your oral medication, which aids you in controlling your blood sugars, is no longer effective and you need something stronger. Now, that you're on insulin, then you must really watch your sugars because they can go up and they can go down. It's really about balancing them. The oral medication, um, you're not going to get the low blood sugars, but with the insulin, you can have low blood sugars. So they can go either way. And in this case, you are really balancing your sugars between high and low. When you have a low blood sugar, there are definite symptoms and they must be treated. In this way, you can become um, shaky, you can feel nervousness or anxiety, um, you'll become uh, sweaty at times, you get chills, you become uh, clammy, you can become irritable and impatient, confused, um, the heartbeat is rapid, it goes much quicker, 
You can get lightheadedness or dizziness. You can experience all of that and even hunger or nausea. In some cases, they used to say that um, people that experienced low blood sugars were taking, taken for those who had consumed too much alcohol, that they would act as if they were drunk. And that can or cannot happen. So it's very important to recognize these symptoms. Um, a diabetic, they, they have to become aware of this. It is usually very apparent that they're having a blood, a low blood sugar to themselves at least. I can feel it before I think most would ever know that my sugar was dropping. And all of these are a great example of symptoms that we, um, that we experience. For myself, I will become a little, uh, I will have a little bit of clamminess on my forearms and I know right away it's not the rest of my body. It's just in that area that it's starting. And that's a great warning sign for me. And I start to feel a little bit, mm, I'm going to say not anxious, but I would say um, almost like a drop. I feel a sense of a drop within myself. It's a very personal thing, but that that's my cue that my sugar is starting to drop. And I do, if I have time, I check it. If I don't have time, I just treat. I, I grab something, even if it's a little bit of an apple or a juice box or a hard candy. I just have a little something and then I'll check. It gives me time to check my uh, my blood sugar, see how low it is. And then you can kind of assess how much sugar you'll need to bring yourself up to a an acceptable level where you feel comfortable and your sugar is not too high because again, you don't want to rebound and go the opposite way. Um, it's, it can be really confusing for a lot of people, especially those around us. I know that, um, I've had people actually try to stop me from having sugar and, Oh, you shouldn't be having that Anita. And although, you know, their heart was in the right spot and they were actually thinking that they were helping me not have a uh, sugar. I needed it. And, you know, because I was having a low blood sugar and that was something that they didn't quite understand. So it can be confusing, um, but we do experience lows and highs and the lows must be treated with excess sugar. But there again, it's a balancing act and we don't want to overdo it. So where people are aware that you need sugar, sometimes they tend to want to promote you to have more or give you more and ask you have some more. You don't look yourself, have some more. You're not quite acting yourself, but what you can do is overshoot the amount of sugar you've had. And for those caring for diabetics, um, you know, if you have a family member, remember that has diabetes, remember that um, they can overdo it as well. It takes about 15 minutes or so for this sugar to fully come around. Um, so you might have had an adequate amount to deal with your low blood sugar, but it really doesn't show up fully on how it's raised your blood sugar for about 15 minutes. So once you start to get something in you and the brain knows, okay, I am uh, getting some sugar. I can, my body can start to calm down. Take your blood sugar. Hopefully you have your meter close to you. Try to have some kind of, you know, testing kit by you as much as possible. Maybe, you know, you've got some of the more advanced systems where they actually have little alarms that let you know that your blood sugar is dropping and then you can bring it back up. Those are very helpful. But for those of you that are using meters and you prick your finger and and you don't have these little devices, try to keep that meter close by. And once you get a little bit of sugar in you, take the time to um, take your sugar and try not to overshoot and have too much sugar because then you're just chasing it. You could end up with a, having a low blood sugar. And before you know it, you've eaten so much sugar that now you're high. And then you require to take a, maybe a little bit of insulin. Now you're just chasing what they call chasing a blood sugar. So you want to be careful in this way because, it, as I said, it is really a balancing act. And although this can be frustrating, you really do get to know your body and you do find your way on what works for you. We all have moments where, oh, we get a little frustrated and it didn't work out the way we, we had hoped. But for the most part, you can really get to know your body and know what works. And, you know, again, try not to overeat when having a low blood sugar because that doesn't help as well. Now, another thing we seem to hear all the time is you need to snack between meals. Or I've even heard the term, feed your diabetes. 
This isn't the case anymore, not with today's medications and tools to manage our diabetes. Years ago, and I've had diabetes a very long time, for over 35 years, most of my life, we really needed to um, eat snacks. They were very, very important. We took one injection a day. And um, we combined insulins a lot of the time. Being a type 1, that was very common. We needed to really watch when these insulin um, peaks could occur. So if we did some exercise, I mean, we really, testing was so vital. Not that it's not now, but it was so very vital. You took one injection a day. These insulin peaks uh, would happen at various times of the day. Exercise would obviously increase the intensity of the insulin. And we had to make sure we ate on time or we would be having lows. It was really hard, um, harder in those days to manage. And of course, people had the mindset, which they still have, that snacking between meals was really important and really watching the times that we ate. We had to be pretty much bang on. Timing was really important, especially um, when we were on, you know, one injection a day. Now with, again, with all these tools and medications, we have the ability to eat, well, you know, when we're uh, hungry, and not when we're not hungry, unless for some unfor- uncertain reason we have um, a low blood sugar. But that's really given us a lot of freedom. So that idea that um, you have to eat more often, that whether you're hungry or not, you're a diabetic, you must have a snack, uh, dinner has to be at 5 o'clock every night or you're in trouble, really that's loosened up quite a bit. Now, your circumstance might um, not be... You know, might, they might, you have some other issues that you're dealing with. But when you're just talking about diabetes, now with the new medications and the tools that we have in hand, it really gives you a lot more freedom. So be mindful that you're not overeating because of this, because that can again be a problem. I, I, when I did an interview in a previous podcast with, um, Dr. Puthalili, who wrote a book called Eat You Live, and he's got a new theory on why type 2 diabetes is become an epidemic and what we can do to prevent getting type 2 diabetes and manage it. He talks about overeating and how, um, you know, eat when you're hungry and eat for health. Pick your choose your food uh, wisely and really look at your health. And I think misconception when it comes to diabetes that if you're eating sugar-free, um, you can eat, you know, sweet things because you're eating sugar, sugar-free chocolate. You're eating sugar-free cookies. So go ahead and have more. Um, and people are always giving you all these sugar-free things thinking that that's going to support you, uh, in your management of diabetes. Well, to some degree, and I'm going to say to some degree, it might help you with the sugars. If you're one that's going to eat a regular cookie or one that's lower in sugar, well, then maybe that is a better choice. But at the end of the day, it really is about supporting your health. And now with these, as I keep repeating myself with these medications and uh, tools that we have at hand, we have so many more choices to kind of, I don't know, sit back and relax. Coming from a place where we didn't have choices, um, when I was first diagnosed, we had glass syringes and we took um, ins- our insulin once a day and we test our sugars with our urine and test tubes and eyedroppers and, um, you know, everything was color coded. We didn't have a number scheme, so we only knew a range of what our blood sugar was. It was a little more difficult. Now, with everything um, that we have at hand to manage our diabetes, it is much easier and then again, you have to do what works for you. So, you know, you're, it's not necessarily that you have to eat all these snacks in between meals unless you need it or you're hungry. And then again, it's a balancing act. So you're not feeding your diabetes. You really should look at feeding your body. Now, an- now another thing that we hear a lot is that sugar, overeating sugar causes diabetes. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of people that eat sh- a lot of, you know, sugar and they don't develop diabetes. But it does contribute um, to obesity. And, you know, just eating a lot of junk food, just not having a healthy diet is going to contribute to diabetes. Obese people tend to eat a lot of sweets. Uh, They also eat a lot of junk food, high-calorie food, 
um, sugar is bad for a diabetic because, you know, we it elevates our blood sugar. So we always have that balance um, if you're on insulin between our medication and the food intake plus exercise, of course. But these high-calorie foods don't necessarily, on their own, sugar on its own doesn't necessarily cause diabetes. I think it's a poor, if you're diet, and if you're pre-positioned, because that's another factor of diabetes, if it runs in your family, um, you know, you're at risk of developing diabetes. Also, it was said, and this is something else that I'd like to clear up, <coughs> that diabetes equaled liver damage in most cases. Well, I had an interview, um, uh, my last interview, actually, if you look back in the podcast, and it was about the liver. And evidence now shows that liver disease, really in the case of type 2, is comes before the diabetes. In a lot of cases, people with liver disease will develop type 2 diabetes. So there's something else to keep in mind. It's not necessarily that your diabetes is causing it, but you may have already had liver issues prior to becoming a type 2 diabetic. So again, this supports a healthy lifestyle, making wiser choices overall if you want to prevent getting type 2 diabetes. Type 1, again, is a different issue, but with type 2, you want to keep your body healthy. In prevention, you want to keep your body healthy. You want to keep your liver healthy. All the evidence is showing that. In fact, it was uh, in in my interview. It was said that seventy five percent of type two diabetics had liver damage prior to developing type two diabetes. So there's many simple things that we can do. We can um, be drinking warm lemon water in the morning, taking milk thistle, drinking some bone broth. All of these things can help the liver cleanse the liver. You want to keep um, you know your uh, gut healthy. You don't want leaky gut. You want to make sure that you're eating food to support your health, to support a healthy gut, to support a healthy liver. And this will support great blood sugars. Even for myself, and I'm a type 1 diabetic, so that is, I have it for one reason and one reason only, that my body does not produce insulin. I found that when I did these things, these little exercises and tips that I got about taking care of our livers on a daily basis, just little things like warm lemon water in the morning on an empty stomach, milk thistle, and I've added magnesium to my diet, has really helped to support great blood sugars. I did see a change. I found it much easier um, and actually, a slight reduction in insulin. And I'm saying slight only because I'm not on a lot of insulin um, to begin with. But because I, I do watch my diet and I try not to eat things that spike it. We all do once in a while. I like an apple. Sometimes it spikes it a little bit and sometimes it doesn't because I've been exercising. But really, we need to learn... Um, and look at people with diabetes that it's really just about supporting their health. They've already got a health condition. So it's, it's more about not chasing the sugars and having diet foods. All of these are, are myths about, you know, have diet foods and your sugar should be okay and, um, just exercise it all off and you can eat whatever you want. Not the case necessarily. We want to, Take in food that actually feeds our body, that supports good health, healthy livers, healthy gut, um, healthy hearts. All of that really helps support everyone in balancing their sugars. And if, when they say that you're having trouble managing your sugars and yet you're doing quite a bit, um, really look at your liver because that could be part of the culprit. Not taking care of your liver can really throw your sugars off. And I really found a huge difference personally and taking that approach, going beyond just chasing sugars, meaning if I wanted extra food, I would eat diet uh, foods, right? You know, what commercialized foods and having, you know, diet pops and doing all these things to control my sugar intake rather than looking at the bigger picture, which was your overall health and feeding your body and eating things that support good health and avoiding things like leaky gut, which I talk about in a previous episode, and candida, which is also in a previous episode. And 
again, and I'm repeating myself, but in a previous episode, we really get into a healthy liver and what helps to support that because all of it aids in really good blood sugars and can perhaps really reduce your risk of type 2 diabetes and help you manage your type 1 diabetes. Another thing I hear um, people have concern with is if you have diabetes, you don't do much exercise or you might get a low blood sugar and they're really afraid of this. Well, in the case of a type 1 diabetic, you have to prepare and you get to know um, where your comfort level is, how much exercise you can do. And it's always good to be carrying something with you, especially a juice box. Um, I like apples. I carry juice box and apples. That's, that's what I do to prepare if I have one. But after a while, you, you start to learn. And if you get into routine, now and again, you might get one. But for the most part, um, I find I do quite well. And it is important. It is important to exercise, to maintain a healthy body, to keep your weight down, health in general. But also for your sugars to to um, really aid in keeping your sugars down and your insulin intake if you're on insulins. It helps all your medications, period. When you exercise, especially uh, resistance, when you add resistance into your program, you create something called brown fat, which is very important to diabetics, and it's burning of fat. At this point, you're burning fat and it goes to your muscles. Now, your muscle cells, in order to absorb glucose, do not need, in this state, they do not need insulin, which is quite interesting. And um, I, I've learned this recently. I actually had no idea uh, till about six months ago that this was the case. I did not know that um, we did not need insulin to absorb glucose into muscle cells, which is about 20% on average of our body. So that's a really good thing to know that even for myself as a type 1 diabetic, I don't need insulin to deal with some of my glucose after exercising. And this will last roughly, um, I guess it depends on the individual and how much exercise you're doing, but it can last you know, 12 to 24 hours, I would say. I know with my regular program, and I've added some um, more resistance to it, swimming and some bands, I don't always um, have to have weights, that my sugars last um, quite a long time in a good state without the use of insulin. And sometimes I'll have, you know, part of a meal, not a huge meal, but part of a meal, and I have found that I have not had to take any insulin, which really surprises me. But then again... Adding that resistance um, exercise to my daily routine really helps, and it made quite a difference. So the idea that if you have diabetes, you can't do much exercise for fear of a low blood sugar, well, you know, look at the risk of benefit factor. And if you're a type 2 diabetic and you're not on insulin and you're on oral medications such as metformin, um, they don't really cause low blood sugars. And so you should really, this is just an important part of your diet, not worrying, uh, sorry, your daily routine, not worrying about, you know, whether you're going to have a low blood sugar because it's unlikely you will. And you can really check with your doctor in regards to this. Always check with your doctor when it comes to any changes or what could affect your medication. But exercise is critical to controlling diabetes along with keeping your weight down. Very important. Now, even with all this, watching our diets, exercising, taking care of our inner uh, gut, preventing leaky gut, or at least being mindful of leaky gut, candida, our livers, and doing all these wonderful things for ourselves, um, sometimes we still end up on insulin if you're t in the case of a type 2 diabetic. And if you're put on insulin, this is a big question I get, and I think it's a misconception. That means you didn't take proper care of your diabetes. And I actually heard this about two weeks ago. Um, I was out, and a woman uh, was talking to me, and she had told me that her husband, you know, he goes to the gym. She felt that he, they, for the most part, had a healthy um, diet, and he was really trying to take care of himself. And he got put on insulin recently and she was, they had an argument. She was quite upset and she's constantly on him now and said, 
He's on insulin. He couldn't been he could not have been taking proper care of his diabetes. He must be, you know, overeating at work or doing things behind my back. And she was really concerned and upset about this. And you know, when you're first diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, your blood sugars um, can be controlled maybe with diet and exercise, and, and that can work for a period of time and maybe, you know, forever. Who knows? Um, then the next step would be oral medications, and that can be successful uh, ongoing. But if the glucose does start to go up for whatever reason, your um, pancreas may not be producing enough insulin at that point. And you will need insulin injections. And this does not mean that it's your fault. This simply just could be the progress of the disease. And that's why it's so vital to look beyond just the sugars, beyond the exercise, and how can we support our bodies overall, keeping healthy livers, keeping healthy guts. Um, you know, uh, they, they talk about leaky gut. But what it actually, it, it is an issue and it does cause some stress on our uh, immune system. It causes stress on our liver. And if you do look back on a previous um, episode of mine, I do talk about leaky gut and how we can prevent it and keep it at bay and the terrible effects that it can actually have on our health. And it's something that we're not always aware of. It's very silent. There isn't a lot of tests for it, but it really can um, affect our health. And yet we could think we're eating quite healthy, but maybe some of these foods are um, having a bad reaction to our gut and causing, um, causing, in fact, leaky gut. So there's a lot more to... I think the prevention of type 2 diabetes and the management of both type 1 and type 2 than just focusing on the sugar. There's a whole body here and everything is interconnected and has an effect on one another. And diabetes is affected by everything. You know, some people think, oh, if you're a diabetic, you're more likely, you're more susceptible to colds and flus. And that's not the case. We're not more susceptible to colds and flus because of diabetes. It's just that if we have a cold and flu, it might be harder to manage our diabetes. And that's the effect that it has. So another, you know, let's say uh, misconception is that we can get colds and flus much easier, but rather we want to keep them at bay because if you have a really bad flu or you have pneumonia, it can be harder to manage. You know, the medications may set your sugars off. That can be difficult. And so it just causes more stress for the individual and it's harder to get over things and heal. So it's, again, it's not rather that, you know, we are more susceptible to colds and flus, but the effects on them because of medications that perhaps are needed or things that can go off in our, you know, our bodies aren't in balance. Um, it just makes it a lot harder to manage sugars. So you really want to watch that as well. And that's why um, they say it's very important for diabetics to get the flu shot, uh, to ask your doctor about it. Um, there is a shot out there that helps with pneumonia, just like in the flu shot, and that can be recommended. But again, really check with your doctor on all these things. I've, um, through the years, I've asked my doctor whether I should have the flu shot. And for a long time, um, she said no. And my endocrinologist said, no, you're, Anita, you really don't need it. Just the last few years, um, a few times when the flu's gotten bad, that it was recommended to me. But also, I, I do have um, an older member in my family. And I, you know, having said that, my grandmother, who's 98, that I spend quite a bit of time with, and she visits me in my home, uh, they did suggest that I had the flu shot. So... Really, it's something that you have to discuss with your doctor, but it's not necessarily that you're more susceptible to getting the flu, but rather the effects of the flu and how, you know, it affects the management of your diabetes. Now, another misconception, um, I think, is that um, uh, people will often say to me, well, I've had diabetes for quite some time, so... Uh, the doctor has told me I must have had it for years and I finally have been diagnosed. So they feel that um, type 2 is far less of an issue than type 1. Well, that would be something for uh, researchers and doctors to really make a, a firm opinion on. But I think uh, really if you've been living with diabetes type 2 for quite some time and it has, been go it has gone undiagnosed, there is an issue. 
and type two diabetes has been, um, uh, in cl- climbing in leaps and bounds for years. And it, the majority of people diagnosed with diabetes are type two. It's just more obvious than a type one. So in type one, because we don't have insulin, we will get sick far quicker. It shows up in our bodies almost immediately and you will develop something called ketoacidosis if untreated by giving insulin injections. And that's when the liver is forced to produce a sugar because we need sugar to function. We need some kind of glucose and the liver has a reserve. So it will be forced to let this out and it's hard on the liver and it will produce something called ketones in our body. And this is not healthy, definitely a sign of type 1 diabetes and something that we don't want. Uh, Ketones take a while to get out of the system. And even when our sugars aren't high, um, you can produce ketones for lack of uh, food versus insulin. So not a good thing to have. Um, when it comes to type 2 diabetes, this is uh, not the case necessarily, but yet the symptoms of the two diabetes are very um, similar because when I first became sick, I had the same symptoms as what a type 2 diabetic would have, except mine was obviously more urgent. I became sick quite quickly, whereas in type 2 diabetes, it's a slow, longer process. So really, you want to keep an eye on these symptoms and get checked, and it's especially if you have it in your family. Go for your regular checkups and be tested. Get your doctor to test you for diabetes. I'm sure you're hearing more and more that they're asking families if it's um, heredit if they have it in the family because it can be hereditary. But some of the symptoms are extreme thirst, frequent need to urinate, increased hunger. Now, when I say increased hunger, usually it's without much weight gain when it comes to type one. In type 2, it's a slightly different story perhaps, um, but maybe not in all cases. But nevertheless, there is an increase in hunger a lot of the time. Uh, sudden blurred vision will come on. Fatigue, great fatigue that you're, you know, you're sluggish, you're tired. I felt that um, all the time when I was, uh, when I was young. And I, and I remember at that age feeling that tired. In um, obviously, in a case where you've had it longer, you'll have wounds that may not heal. Uh, you'll also have sugar in the urine. In a case of mostly women, you'll develop uh, yeast infections. They can also cause bladder infections in people. Um, feeling the uh, sense of pins and needles in your feet. You can get funny rashes on your skin. It can become itchy. All of these can be symptoms of diabetes and a reason to get checked by your doctor. Even if you feel that you're not in risk and it's of diabetes and you're not overweight and you're active, and it may not even be in your family, if you experience some of these symptoms, please get checked um, because that's another misconception. Remember that uh, you don't have to be overweight and be 40 not and, and have diabetes. You can be active and your weight can be in order and still develop diabetes. Type 1, you can get at any age, and type 2, at any age. And we're not 100% sure why. They're still doing a lot of research on why people uh, develop type 2 diabetes. So if you get any of these symptoms, please pay attention because that's another a misconception that, that we have, that overweight people only get diabetes. People that are inactive get type 2 diabetes. Only young people um, are diagnosed, develop type 1 diabetes, and it's traditionally called juvenile diabetes. But that's not the case anymore. Really, there's no age limit for type 1 and type 2. Now, with lifestyle changes and children being less active, they are developing type 2 diabetes. And for whatever reason, and we're not quite sure why, none of the researchers can put their finger on it, but people are being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at a later time in life. So really pay attention to these symptoms because that way of thinking where um, traditionally it, it held true or that's the way they treated people, it's not the way um, medicine is looking at it now, they're really telling us that at any age you could develop either or, type 1 or type 2. So again, extreme uh, thirst, need to urinate more often, your increase in hunger, 
uh, blurred vision, fatigue. Fatigue is a really big one. All of these things are, um, they happen early on and they can be warning signs of diabetes. So it's just go to your doctor and have yourself checked and really inform yourself and arm yourself with a healthy lifestyle. Again, you know, even if you're, you think, oh, well, I'm slim and I exercise. What are you feeding your body? How are you taking care of your liver? Are you, you know, taking pressure off it? Are you eating whole foods? Are we, you know, cutting down on pesticides? Are we doing all these things to protect our liver? So have a look at the whole picture. And even if you are a diabetic and your management, all these healthy choices really support um, management of your diabetes and make life so much easier. It's not just about the sugar. I don't, I'm a diabetic, so I really just cut back on sugar and I do with some exercise. What else are you doing for your health? All of that is really important. So another perception of diabetes that's um, been around for quite some time, that is, that is diabetes is a death sentence. Not true. More and more, um, with the progress in medications and ways of management, we have um, this disease is more so in our hands than ever before. And we can really take charge of our health and really have um, good lives and taking care of ourselves. And diabetes does not have to be a death sentence. Absolutely not. So keep that in mind. Support your body. Take care of yourself. It's really about good health overall, not just focusing on the sugar, but really supporting your body so that it all works together. And this really does support um, great blood sugars or, or it makes management of your diabetes so much easier. And I'm living proof. I can tell you after over 35 years of living with diabetes and um, all the different changes that I've seen in our types of, you know, medications and management options and tools that we have now that um, help us in, in all sorts of ways. If you don't like to prick your finger, you, you know, they have other ways of testing your blood sugars and devices that will test your blood sugar every three minutes. And you can wear this on your body and it will send it to your mobile device even. And these, all these things really support healthy lifestyles. So diabetes does not have to be a death sentence. So just a little tip I'm going to leave you with today um, in promoting a healthy lifestyle. People with diabetes do eat fast food. Try picking a salad just to help with balancing our sugars and just good health overall. With Maybe even a little bit of protein for those that eat meat. Um, I'm going to use Wendy's as an example, maybe their apple pecan chicken salad. And they all come with dressing on the side. So I know this particular salad comes with a pomegranate dressing, but go easy on the dressing and pick um, something a little lower in sugar or no sugar, actually, for a beverage such as water or maybe an unsweetened tea. If you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to email me. Anita at anitacoach.ca and follow me on Twitter at Anita Westlake.